on the job with Francis Leach. On the job, the podcast all about making your working life better. G'day, Francis Leach with you. Now, the Australian dream. Oh, we've heard a lot about the Australian dream over the last little while, haven't we? But here's something about it that's undeniable. The idea that you used to be able to work one decent, secure job and it would pay you enough to put a roof over your head, put food on the table for your family and for you to thrive and live a comfortable life in a strong, secure community. There's a lot of talk that that's still available to people, but the growing incidence of insecure work and no entitlements and and inflation galloping away, as well as a housing squeeze, finding somewhere to live is becoming increasingly difficult, let alone to buy a place. Well, that's meant that that dream is slipping away further and further from ordinary people's reach. And the consequence of that is that many working people, people who are working hard all week, have to resort to places like Food Bank in order to put food on their table. Matt Tilly is the acting CEO of Food Bank. Now, Food Bank is uh, an organisation that uh, provides food for charities all around the country. And uh, it does uh, the bulk of that. I think about 70% of all of that work is done by Food Bank. Uh, he's the CEO at the moment, acting CEO of the Victorian Division of Food Bank. And he joins us on the podcast to talk about what he's seen as the growing incidence of people who have jobs, who should be able to pay their way, having to turn to Food Bank to actually get by. Here's Matt Tilly with us on The Job. This is On The Job with Francis Leach. Matt Tilly, welcome to On The Job. Look, we meet in the strangest places, but you were here at Food Bank where you're now working, like myself, giving up the bright lights and early starts yes. of a radio career to get involved in helping people. Yeah, it's fantastic. Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about Food Bank and how does it work? You've walked me through the warehouse. It's a huge, huge logistical operation. I think people think Food Bank might might be a sort of a few parcels here and there. (laughs) Shared where you can go and pick up a box of food. No, so, well, Food Bank itself is a federation. So there's food banks in every state with independent boards and CEOs and all that sort of stuff. And then we obviously have a national body that does lobbying with the government and looks after big relationships with Coles and Woolies and that sort of thing. So it's a bit like federal and state governments in a way. But we're, you know, Victoria's independent. We're the oldest. We've been going for 90 years. And basically, yeah, we are massive. We are the fridge and pantry for about 550 charities across the state. All the charities you know and love, Salvos and Vinnies and Feed Me Bellarine, or there might be Family Violence Shelter in Mildura or, you know, areas that were affected by bushfire um, you know, they basically get all their food from us. So I've walked through the warehouse, and as I said, it's a massive operation, logistical operation to get food in and out of here. The system is that a charity somewhere, whether it's metropolitan Melbourne or in regional Victoria, goes online and yep. looks at your inventory, orders what they think they need, yep. and then out it goes. Yeah, so we call it the surprise chain when we just have trucks coming through here and one might be full of cream cheese, one might be full of wrapped spinach leaves for an organisation like HelloFresh or whatever and they've got two days left and they're like, maybe Food Bank can use these. All kinds of stuff. We do have some relationships where we have regular donations of key staple foods like pastas and rice and stuff, but it's a mix. So, yeah, it goes online, people look at it and um, grab what they need. And how many trucks are on the road? You know, tonnes and tonnes a day. It's not people turning up in their cars and us saying, you know, would you like, would you like some rice and some stuff like that? And it's all for us, it's based around getting out to the charities right at the coalface who are seeing families every day, 
families who are like, we don't have anything to eat tonight, and giving them, you know, foods they recognise, healthy, fresh foods, and the dignity and respect of them being able to choose stuff and go home and cook it. And similarly, the other program you run is for schools and school breakfasts. Yeah, so the school breakfast program, uh, we're in partnership with the state government, Victoria, and we're in 1,015 schools, and basically it's this fantastic little morning club where kids who come from, you know, obviously backgrounds where there isn't food at home and mum and dad don't have the capacity to, you know, give them the start to the day they need to concentrate at school. They come in, they get all this five-star rated fruit and oats and milk, but it's a club. It's often kids who come from tougher backgrounds are stigmatised. School grounds are pretty good at picking up on the kids who don't aren't doing so well and don't quite have the sneakers that everyone else does and stuff. And so not only are we giving these kids something in their tummy so they can concentrate at school, but we're also giving them, it's a great social network for them and they're getting responsibility and all that stuff. When you were the lunch monitor, you felt important, you know, the kids cooking the toast and making the porridge and all that. It's an amazing community thing. And to go out and see them and you see these kids beaming and some of them, you know, we hear stories that just break your heart. Kids, you know, getting in trouble for having chewing gum. It's not chewing gum, miss, it's cardboard. What are you chewing cardboard for? Well, mum said if I was hungry, that would make the hunger go away. And you're like, oh, my God, how's that kid going to learn and grow and, and thrive? So, One of the things that struck me coming here was the size of the operation. And the reason why I say that is because I think most people wouldn't understand the depth of need in the community for a service like this in a country as wealthy as Australia. And we look at the unemployment rate, and the unemployment rate says under 4%. Yeah. And we've had previous governments saying, well, everyone should be doing just fine. But that's not the true picture of what's happening in the real world, is it? No. So here in Victoria right now, we're feeding 100,000 people every two days. So, 100,000 people. Yeah. Obviously, Victorians only understand it in terms of MCGs full. So it's two MCGs full, one every two days. So that is a lot of people. And they're not the people that you traditionally associate with putting their hand out for food. Most of them, the new people turning up and all these you know, those charities I was telling you about before are saying that they're going from seeing 15 to 20 families a day to 40 or 50 in the last five to six weeks. And they're working families. Oh, that's such a political phrase. But mum and dad are working and they still don't have enough once heating, fuel, rent, mortgage to actually go and buy good food or any food. So when we talk about the cost of living crisis, this is at the sharp end of that. This is where yeah. people tap out and say, I can't afford to feed myself. Absolutely. Well, it's about the choices they have to make. And for most families it's, at the moment, it's heating or eating because you can't, I guess you can compromise on food, but your gas bill's your gas bill. You know, petrol is petrol. You've got to pay it in that moment. They're non-negotiable. So whatever's left is kind of what you have for food because that's the only place you have choice. And often people are finding, I don't even have a choice. There's nothing left. Uh, you had a drive-through here at this facility where we are today, which is a warehouse. As we yeah. said, this is not a this is not the shop front for food bank. You've explained how it works, but you had a drive-in because you sensed the need. Yeah. Uh, tell us what happened that day. Well, so during the lockdowns, we had a few here and we were so overwhelmed. Traffic went back three kilometres at the news choppers out here and the police actually had to shut it down because they said, once you're blocking the Westgate Bridge, it becomes a public safety issue. Can't do it. So we realised there's an enormous demand when we have these things, but we couldn't do it here. So we've got great partnerships with the Melbourne market and uh, with Chibani Yoga. So that's Epping and Dandenong, two pretty key areas in terms of all the research we've done around where the need is greatest set up these drive-throughs, which is a hamper of good pantry food that you'd recognise from the supermarket and fresh stuff as well. 
And yeah, a thousand cars turned up to each, everything we had there, gone. There was everything you could imagine. There was families living in their cars. There were people in really nice cars. We got a little bit of blowback from people saying, well, they didn't need food. Look how nice their cars are. They're going okay. But it's just a prejudice we have to overcome. They might be going okay because they've got a nice car two years ago. But if all they could do is sell it and there'd be nothing else, they still need to get to work. They still need to get to work, and I guess that's the point, isn't it? And I guess you're seeing people, as you said, for the, who for the first time have found themselves needing a service like this, and I, that'd be quite a shock for them, a culture shock for them, and have a real impact on their well-being. Absolutely. That's 30% of the people we're seeing at the moment, and it is not ridiculous to hear stories where people are truly ashamed because they've never known this. That many of them used to donate to us. They're like, I used to donate to you guys. I can't believe that I'm actually calling upon you. And we're like, well, that, in a way, you're doubly welcome. You know, it's the stigma that here in Australia, the land of plenty, you know, we look at similar food banks in America and it's a different culture there. People aren't uncomfortable lining up for food and things like that, whereas our welfare system, there is still a lot of stigma. People have strong feelings about not being able to support your kids, things like that, and we just say to people that's circumstances have conspired now where that's rubbish and you need to understand that we just got to put our arms around each other and we're really big on dignity and respect is the third ingredient of the food that we have and on top of all that now we've got to consider cultural diversity you know we learned from the lockdowns that you know when there were towers in north melbourne which had a you know strong i guess uh make up of people from african nations they were just receiving meals and picking up foods. They're like, and it wasn't from us. I'm just saying lots of people were doing their best. They're like, pasta means nothing to me. It's not what I eat. And in a way, you're just reminding them of the situation they're in. And we're trying to stamp that out and find appropriate food for people, you know, delivered in a way that's that people don't feel they have to come cap in hand, that they should feel warm and welcome and embraced. You and I have both worked in an industry where, we're, in a sense, it was a bit of a luxury to work on radio. It was fun. Yeah. Um, we were able to muck around, make some good money, have a laugh. And then you're somewhat shielded from the reality of how our audiences might have been living their lives and the challenges they face. So just on a personal level, mm. how's that been for you to sort of step out of that, that world that we both inhabited and then be here and see firsthand the real challenges working people face? Yeah, it's interesting. I... I you know, I like to think that I was pretty cognizant at the time of, of, of the audience that um, listened to us. But I was also conscious of the fact that they were probably listening for a bit of escapism. So if we just tried to deal with them on their terms in their world and talk about their problems, it's not great entertainment. But we were, I was aware of it. You would have done the same. Lots of outside broadcasts. Yes. We always tried to raise money and do good and help people, you know, cynically because we thought it would boost the ratings. <laughs> but uh, I had a sense of it, but... Even people who work here can work here for a few months when you actually go out and you see people lining up at our mobile supermarkets and, and the joy when they see foods and they're like, oh, my God, you've got yoghurt just like in the supermarkets. And they're so grateful. It, it's kind of invigorating more than it fills you with despair. Does it also fill you with a, a sense of, well, it does for me, is that sense of anger that people in Australia, working people who are trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get a job, but they have no they know, no job security, no entitlements, no sick pay, no holiday pay, that insecure work environment leaves them just one episode, whether it's a health episode or a job all episode. all the time. A trapdoor economy. They fall through, suddenly at your door. Well, COVID taught us that, right? People who might have had a couple of restaurants going fine, life was great, overseas holidays, the trapdoor, suddenly nothing. No cash, no nothing. Do we sell everything we've got? Is this it? It's those moments, those sliding door moments. And the one that I think 
I find the hardest to deal with is working, family, mum and dad, for whatever reason, there's a health episode, a work accident, something like that. And both of them have to stop working because one is injured or not well and the other one becomes a primary carer of sorts. And instantly they've gone from 100 to zero in terms of capacity to look after families from an income perspective and a work perspective. Well, I know there's safety nets and stuff, but, yeah, it's really hard. That's what I find the hardest thing is that people who are trying are not coping and not getting the help they need and not getting the food they need for their families. But still in Australia, there's this, I don't know, it's just a sort of sly wink that, yeah, really? Are you really trying, you know? The same attitude people, I think, have to welfare and unemployment. And we're doing our best to break that. And we feel now that people are cottoning on. Commercial news services and stuff are saying, this is the reality. You know, this isn't, I guess, you know, what traditionally I would have called those outlets would have, you know, make poverty porn. It's like, this is everyone. This is, this is, as I say, it's not people on the street, it's people in your street. That's a great line, and it is what it is. And I guess the only other real visible representation of that was at the start of the pandemic, wasn't it, when uh, everything had to close down because we went into lockdowns and people instantly lost their jobs overnight yeah. and Centrelink queues were for miles. And people went, well, these people, do they have no savings? Do they have no entitlements? And you, people realise that's the insecure work economy. That's what happens. You're Absolutely. working hand-to-hand, cash-to-cash, cash jobs, whatever, when that goes, there's nothing. Yeah, and I think for us, a sort of supercharged people's sensibility around what we do was when the supermarket shelves emptied and suddenly people who still had the means were like, what? There's no pasta. There's no toilet paper. What? What, how am I, how, what am I going to do? And we're like, you know, for some people that's all the time. That's the hard one for us, we say. You're just three pay packets or one episode away from being someone you don't recognise. Do you think you're winning the battle of hearts and minds with the work that you're doing to change that perception of, of the working poor, of people who are working but aren't making enough? Well, we're not really looking to change perceptions from a sort of position of zealotry. We're wanting to change perceptions so that those that need us don't feel bad. That's the most important one. And then beyond that, we're probably wanting to change perceptions so that those who support us and donate to us have a better sense of yeah how deep this problem is and how broad it is. But beyond that, are we looking to rattle the cage of governments and stuff? Not really, because we just think it's pretty obvious. And we're more interested in getting on with the business of doing what we do than banging a drum. And success for you would be this place scaling down or demand dropping off? I think for us, success is doing what we do better. I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I... I think there's a naivety if we start aspiring to United Nations goals to end world hunger because I just don't think it's real. And I think in a way it's a bit disrespectful. You're like, there's not a practical approach. It's a bit lofty, whereas I'm like, let's just roll up our sleeves and get it done. For hundreds of years, there's always been people who need help because they've been dealt a bit of a shit sandwich. And just personally, I mean, how have you found the change from from working in the entertainment industry, in the radio industry to to doing this kind of work? What's What's it meant to you? Well, it's been bloody handy when you need things plugged <laughs> to ring old mates and call in favours. Uh, yeah, but, you know, less less call for my impersonations and things like that than there, there used to be. But I, Look, I really enjoy it. I enjoy it because I, I don't know, maybe, not from an egocentric point of view, but I always used to think that, you know, when you're in entertainment, people tend to think you're a one-trick pony or what they hear is what you are and stuff. I was like, nah, I'd like to think I can have a broader perspective on life and 
try new things. Well, you're doing that and you're doing it in a fine way, Matt Tilly. Thanks for being with us oh, on the mate, job. It's been my pleasure. It's been great to catch up. This is On The Job with Francis Leach. Matt Tilly, former radio star, now doing some great work with Food Bank in Victoria as the acting CEO. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Don't forget, your ratings really matter. If you've got uh, an app that you use, just give us a rating there. It helps bump us up the, the charts and the table and people can find us and uh, you know, give us some stars, whatever it is that you do to uh, acknowledge the podcast. And we will catch you on the next edition of On The Job. Bye for now. 